0: You know, being a leader to me is, at the end of the day, is being responsible for your team. Um, But it also is, you know, I think in the context of the health system, being a really smart strategic system steward. Uh, Because we know we live in a complex health system with limited resource, limited time, more demand than we'll have uh, ability to really respond to. So how do we be really smart stewards and and guide people? And I think uh, it's a privilege, really, this kind of being in any kind of leadership role. The impact we get to have not only on the health system, but also and our teams, but also on the communities we serve. Uh, we're really privileged, I think, in healthcare. And uh, in times like this in COVID-19 kind of demonstrate that all the more, that the privilege we have to really be able to serve our communities and support uh, people that we see every day walking down the street.
1: From Vernissage Health, this is Built to Lead, a show where we talk to emerging and established leaders from all levels within the healthcare sector in the hope of breaking boundaries, inspiring hope, and redirecting views on what the landscape of healthcare leadership is and can be.
2: Welcome back to the Built to Lead podcast, a student-led initiative made to uncover what it takes to be a great leader in today's healthcare system. Thank you for tuning in to the fourth episode of the season. In this episode, we had some great conversations with three established leaders in our healthcare system. In today's episode, we had the pleasure of interviewing Mark Pham, Michael Millar, and Zanita Hirji. Mark is the Vice President of Programs at Michael Guerin Hospital, where he works in a system and leadership capacity to lead the clinical impact on our community. Prior to his role in the hospital, Mark spent over 12 years in the healthcare consulting industry, where he worked with many different stakeholders across Canada and internationally in both urban and rural settings to find solutions to complex problems in the healthcare sector. Following his career in consulting, he utilized what he learned and applied his expertise to hospital settings and found value in having a direct impact on patients. Michael is the founder and CEO of Virto Health, a Toronto-based health informatics startup. Michael's career started as a computer scientist, and he has since applied his expertise in the health informatics landscape. He's passionate about implementing transparent technologies to drive overall quality, value, and sustainability improvements in the healthcare sector. Michael is also an adjunct lecturer and alumni of the Master of Health Informatics program, where he's helping to shape the next generation of health informatician leaders. Zanita started her career as to graduate from the Master of Health Administration program here at the IHPME. She utilized her education to work in many different organizations and roles, including in government, lens, management consulting, including her own practice that she held and held many different senior executive leadership roles in the healthcare sector. Zanita is passionate about how emerging technologies, digital solutions, and analytics can be harnessed to improve the healthcare system sustainability Health outcomes, and overall patient and provider experiences. So, welcome back to the Built to Lead podcast. As with our last three episodes, we want to start off this episode by asking our guests about their leadership philosophies and what are some qualities that they think make great leaders. And one of the topics that both Zenita and Mark touched on was how to create followership and be a leader that people both want to work with and want to learn from.
3: I think that you know leadership to me has also been about um, being somebody that people people want to follow. I mean, you can call yourself a leader, but if you've got nobody behind you um, that um, it, you know is is seeing the leadership quality within you and and wants to follow the direction that you're heading. Um, you know it, it's pointless um, so I think that you know having folks around you that um, want to want to follow you but also believe in in the vision um, that you're communicating and that you're articulating I think is fundamental. Um, mm-hmm. the ability to relate with people um, at all levels of the organization I think is is fundamental especially in healthcare.
0: I think from a leadership challenge, it's probably always the, the challenge is, cr- how do you create and maintain followership? And, you know, for me, if you've, if you've looked at my career, and if I think about my career over the last number of years, I've, you know, I spent the first 12 years in one company, so I wasn't moving around a lot. But then I moved into hospital for three years, and then to a government agency for two years, and now into another hospital where I've been 18 mm-hmm. months. So I've had a lot of moves in the last few years. And so how do you create follow, how do you create connection and followership? And so the challenge is probably really been practicing that all those skills we just talked about is getting um, comfortable really being open right from the beginning to create those bonds. I remember uh, my very first or second day at North York General. So at North York General, when I first started, I I was leading uh, diagnostic imaging, lab services, strategy, and some other work. And uh, I went to to what was then the Branson site. And the Branson had a history at North York knowing, you know, there's always the the fear that it would get closed down, and eventually North York has moved a lot of the services out of the Branson. And uh, I walked into the room with our staff lounge, with our imaging technologists, uh, who are a great team there. And uh, one of them was an informal leader and clearly had uh, the voice of the group. And with all the group there eating lunch, and I was just coming to say hi and meet everyone, uh, she just started jumping right into a whole bunch of really personal questions. Am I married? Why am I not married? Do I have a kid? What happened? All any number of different things that have actually nothing to do with work, healthcare, leadership, imaging, the hospital, nothing. And really it was a test to say, are you going to be someone we can actually work with and talk to Cause we've had our whole careers here. We're a family here. Mm-hmm. Um, and are you part of this family or are you just floating through? Um, so it was a great challenge. I like in the split moment, decided to just open and say absolutely everything and be completely yeah. vulnerable. Um, and it, great, it built great relationships. Right? But it was a pivot point. I could have kept that old professional image on and you know, said that's whatever I would have said. Uh, I don't even know. Um, and I probably never would have had that followership. So it's, um, it's those kind of key moments where you choose, especially as you move into new organizations or new roles, how do you really build connection to build followership? Because that's everything we do as a team sport in healthcare. And so if you don't build that connection with each other, it doesn't have to be leaders followership. It could just be peer followership you know, we don't get anything done. And so to me, that's, that was an example of a challenge, but one I'm always thoughtful about how to, how to keep overcoming.
2: So I think that both those stories that Zanita and Mark talked about are really important that for one, it's really important to understand that to be a leader, you're going to have people who are looking up to you. um, And you want to be the kind of person that other people want to follow and follow direction from. And yeah, I really loved Mark's story because he could have come into that situation and stuck to his scripted ways of doing things, you know, said, I have to be professional. I have to, you know, stick to business, but he really recognized the importance of connecting with others and how that's a really important part of leadership. And I think that it really benefited him in the end to form those authentic relationships with people and it benefited his relationship with his clients.
1: Oh, for sure. And even that, that first impression, I think it's, unfortunately sometimes if we like it or not whether it's right or wrong like we all make initial judgments about people so in terms of mark's story like he was in there he had that first impression on his team and based on how he responded to those questions and his interactions with the staff led to it what it led to that positive interaction so over time based on our interaction deeper impressions are formed so it's always best to become the best version of ourselves and present our best selves Because you never know, it may lead to your next
4: promotion. You know, one of the things I always do when I start a job is um, I make a note not to do anything crazy. Like, you know, (laughs) be careful, be quiet, observe, understand the environment you're in. Because every time you go inside an organization, you have to understand you're entering into a culture, right? So know the culture, appreciate it, understand it, and be very careful on what the first action you do. Because no matter how open-minded the world is, no matter how they they want to do it, people first impressions matter. And so one of the things I, I realized is that you have the ability to control what your first impression is. Because when you're hired, you're entering into a culture where they existed without you. And so what you get to do is you get to decide what the first step that you do. And so I'm very intentional. About the first thing I do. And I always try finding the biggest problem that I know that I'm qualified to solve, and I solve the crap out of it. I just, <laughs> and I make sure that that's the way that I set the, the message. And I think that served me well. It's only something that I started doing in the last two roles uh, when I had a ministry and then another one in a financial organization. But it really served to set the context for how I wanted to be perceived and what I wanted to focus on. And I think that. Um, I think leaders are, are generally very good at doing that. They get to control the message on how they want to be perceived. At least that's what I've seen in leadership. Again, there's many different styles, but that's just kind of my technique.
3: So I'm going to give you a story, but it wasn't early on in my career. It's much more recent. And, you know, it, there's nothing like a job loss that mm-hmm. will trigger um, that innate sort of a child within you to say, oh, my God, like, What is going on? What have I done wrong? You begin to doubt um, everything you're doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, You begin to question your abilities, the value that you bring, um, you know, to an organization, the uh, accomplishments that, you know, you've gained, the contributions you've made, um, and just what insights you hold, right? And everything just becomes like, oh, um, you know, and it's the shadow of doubt. um, And that can be a really vicious cycle right because especially you know in times like this it it can be almost a downward spiral Mm -hmm. um and I I I hear stories more and more every day um of folks that are going through this because of, of the job loss that's prevalent you know in the economy um and potentially you know more to come I'm hoping not but um that um there's nothing like an experience like that, that will really begin to make you reevaluate and rethink your abilities and Mm -hmm. your credibility. Um, And then, you know, out of the blue, um, somebody calls and says, Hey, I've been thinking about you. Um, There's a job that I'm going to be, or, or, uh, you know, a role that I'm looking to fill. And I met with you seven or eight years ago and (laughs) You were the first person that came to mind when wow. I was thinking about this role, and uh, you know, I'm. Uh, yeah, I got off the phone and thought, okay, <laughs> I'm doing something right <laughs> if if I met with this CEO seven or eight years ago, and he remembers enough out of that conversation for me to be the first person that comes to his mind when he's thinking of mm-hmm. this role. Um, so again, it's self doubt is always going to be prevalent. It doesn't matter where you are in your career journey. Um, but it's the folks that are around you, right, and mm-hmm. and the contributions that you bring um, that people will remember, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so don't don't let yourself go down that downward spiral, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Because um, it can be it can be disastrous in a number of cases, right? But um, there are people, especially I believe in this system, that really will pull you out of that, um, and it'll come in the most unexpected forms in the most unexpected places. I had a call at 7.30 a.m. <laughs> um, but yeah, it does Yeah, happen. that's great. So just, just strive forward and be mm-hmm. resilient.
1: That's a powerful story. And it just goes to show you the power of impressions. The story that Zanita shared with us about just getting that call 7.30 in the morning because of that first impression that she left with that network, it really just goes to show what Michael was talking about in terms of being intentional when you're starting out. And that resilience piece is a key component along with patience. And I think as emerging leaders, uh, this can be hard. I've been guilty of lacking patience myself, but I'm learning that even with networking, that the rewards are not always immediate and that there is a long game. So not every coffee chat or network event will lead to a job. Mm -hmm. Sometimes as Anita shared, some networks will reap future benefits.
2: Yeah, I I totally agree that I think a lot of the time you go into networking events thinking that you're looking for something um, and you have to get something out of that conversation, but it's really all about the long term. And I actually had, have a story to share about networking when um, I had just started in the MHI program. I was really into networking because I was like, I'm starting my master's. I have to meet all these new people. So every time that a guest lecturer got brought in, I made a point to connect with them. And uh, one of the guest lecturers, um, I reached out and asked if they were willing to meet for coffee. Um, And he said, yep. And it took a few months to actually get our coffee chat to make it happen. But in the end, it did happen. And it was so nice. And he invited me to the office and gave me a big tour of the office. And all I was expecting was like 15 minutes and like probably an awkward conversation (laughs) um, because I hadn't networked much before. Um, But then at the end of the office tour, he offered to sit down in his office and give me um, mentorship advice um, and career advice. And it was so it was so nice. And then nothing came out of it. Um, I didn't get a job out of it or anything. Um, But then a few months later, I got an email out of the blue, kind of the same thing that happened to Zanita Mm -hmm. saying, you know, hey, Sarah, how are you? Do you have a job? (laughs) So, (laughs) yeah, it was it was really funny. Um, And it just goes to show you that you never know what's going to happen. And it also goes to show you that you should really be authentic in all those situations Um, that, yes, first impressions matter, but you also should be true to yourself because, you want people to, you know, want to network and connect with you for who you are, and not for someone that you're pretending to be, um, and putting a lot of effort into. So, Mark and Michael actually shared their thoughts on the importance of networking with us.
0: I think it's it's probably three things. So, one, surround yourself with a really great network. Uh, so, ne- your network of peers is going to be one of your best networks going forward. And I and I always say this in school, but I, but I, I say this to everyone: the people you know now will be your uh, your peer senior leaders. 10 years from now, or whatever that time frame is. And, and so really developing that network and, and being open with your peers, being vulnerable, sharing what's working, sharing where your failures are. It's amazing how much uh, trust you can build and, and peer allyship you can build, and I think that's really important.
4: Um, in regards to networking, I think the reason why networking is so important, and I can tell you this, as a founder of a startup, um, one of the common phrases that you'll hear is that it's lonely to be a leader, right? It's lonely to be a leader. And that was one of the first things I wanted to shoot down. It's a, one of the first things I didn't want to believe. And so uh, there are times where is where you do feel lonely. Like we just finished a fundraise. And when it comes to negotiating your value as a person who founded a company, um, people are very, you know, they don't, it, it's not worth anything in the market. You know, you have to defend your value. And so at those times, Having people that you can reach out to and say, Am I crazy? Is this right? Is this something there? Like, you'll never be able to buy a contractor who will give you that unsolicited advice. You will never be able to be in one of the riskiest moments of your life and call on, you know, a consultant or a contractor (laughs) or a service or an agency that will have your intentions in heart. And the thing is about a network is a network decides to stay networked with you. And so you can understand and you have the longevity of that relationship to understand and to, to weigh on. And that that means that you can lean on your network when times are tough. And Mm -hmm. whereas you can't buy that kind of advice, you can't buy that type of support. And uh, that's, that's why I would say networking is important. And Mm -hmm. like, I mean, like literally my, the, my company was, The only reason why I wanted to start a company is because I knew exactly who the people I was going to hire over the next three years. And it was my job to prove that my company was worth bringing in that talent.
1: That advice that Mark and Michael shared with us, um, I think it's very important for us to to hear. Uh, We got to make sure that we're connecting with the people, especially in our classmates and as our peers. For me, networking, I used to cringe at that word. For me, it just seemed like it was a transactional relationship. And I'm not saying that networking is bad, but I prefer, I'm someone that prefers value and authentic relationships. But what I learned in the master program, like what Mark was talking about, like your peer group is the people that you're growing with. So I was fortunate to have a great cohort and I'm surrounded by amazing health leaders who I expect to go on to do amazing things in the health system. And as Mark said, this is pretty much my professional life cohort. So I'm pretty sure that as we progress, I progress in my stage Uh, So will my classmates, and we'll be able to bounce off ideas with each other. And you should just see our WhatsApp group, Sarah, because the pings pretty much never stop. But it's pretty good, though, because even after we graduated, because we graduated in June, and it's still going, and it's good to see that we're still continuing to support each other. So I like that.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think that um, one of the best things that I could have gotten out of my degree at the IHPME um, is the network. And it's not only with the guest lecturers and the professors, it really is with the cohort that you have, especially in health informatics and I'm sure um, in health administration and just in healthcare leadership in general, it's a pretty small field where I really find that everyone knows everyone, but in the best way possible, it really feels like a community. So I think it's really important um, to get to know your classmates and, you know get to know people outside of even your own cohort but you know that are your peers like we got to know each other because of this podcast and if it wasn't for this we wouldn't you know have ever met yeah it's, it's really cool to get to learn from your peers
0: you know also surrounding yourselves with good leaders and the leaders don't have to be just your own direct supervisor or the people in your organization but others as well you know i remember an opportunity i had when i was around 25 26 somewhere in there so I would have been, let's say, four or five years into the working world, not very long um, in, uh, as a consultant. I was a brand new manager. And uh, it was a consulting project with Government of Ontario. It's all public. And uh, we were reviewing all of what were then kind of 10 major e-health projects for the province. So 10 massive systems that are all now up and live today. And uh, it was my first time really doing an IT project, first time really doing a project management review, because I had done project management. but first time uh, and first time really working with government. So a lot of firsts, first manager, first leadership role, first, a bunch of things. Um, it was a successful project because, you know, I, I had to lean on this, you have to lean on the skills you do have. So you have the theory you have in this case it was consulting skill, but whatever your technical skill that you're bringing to something. But I also had some really great leaders. I had great leaders on the project team I was working with and great leaders in that case, in the client side. And I remember at the very end of it all, uh, and the client we were working with was, I would guess around 60, you know, more towards retirement, 60 or even 65 towards retirement. I think he'd even come back from retirement, you know, turned to me and said, Oh, that was, that was good learning for you, a eh, young fella. And I always comes, always sticks in mind because the young fell apart and said, okay, all that time I was waiting for the, um, waiting for them to realize how young I was leading this massive project. And surely that, you know, they must realize there's nothing underneath this. Um, but you know what it was, is it really let me, kind of let me down my guard of trying to be an expert as a health leader. And we're all on a learning journey and that uh, senior leaders are really supportive of that. You know, they're not expecting anyone to be the perfect expert if you will. So mm-hmm. there's really support, there's really great support in the health system from mid and senior leaders for emerging leaders. And I think that's, that's important to have faith in, uh, and to know that um, it, it really gives you uh, the opportunity to take risks. Um, but that you'd be amazed how much you can rise to the occasion when you're put mm-hmm. under pressure. Uh, and so to have, have, have that faith in yourself, that that's how that kind of moved from doubt to confidence, if you will, for me.
2: So Matthew, I think that conversation that you had with Mark was really important to really understand that it's in those situations where you are challenged and where you feel uncomfortable, that that's where you get to work on your leadership skills and grow as a leader. And I know that Michael also talked about the importance of surrounding yourself putting yourself in situations that do make you uncomfortable um, to reach new goals.
4: So yeah, that's a very interesting uh, question because uh, I will agree with you. Transparency is one of those things that you can uphold when it's easy and it tends to fade away as it becomes convenient. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, the longer you get in the tooth, the higher you get in leadership, the more tempting it is to cut that off. Um, So there's two things I do. The first thing is I I make sure to surround myself with people who don't make me comfortable, people who know my values and will hold me accountable to them when I'm weak. So when I feel like it's more convenient just to not say something or do something, they'll speak up and they'll make sure. And it's important that you find people that uh, believe in you for your values, not in it for yourself.
2: So Michael shared his story about how he always surrounds himself with people that force him to, Uh, reach his goals, even when that does make him uncomfortable. And for him, that was maintaining his true goal of being transparent. And he continues on to share some really interesting insights about his views of confidence and how to build your confidence.
4: Um, And I think that a lot of people, you know, the the, the expression, and I make a joke, I've said it to everyone, everyone's heard the expression, fake it till you make it right. You know, I change it, fake 20%. (laughs) on top of 80%, that to me, faking 20% and knowing 80% is kind of the word of innovation. When I hear the word innovation, that's what it is. If you if you know everything, that's not innovation. Even if you make it to the end, you don't know what part of it was because of your competence or what was because of what you got away with. And that then you get that weird color of confidence which isn't really confidence it's it's a it's confidence with a question mark <laughs> and so the thing is my thing is be true in the way that you develop skills and the way that you develop confidence you know find that in ways that you know that you've overcome it and then you'll be able to build on that and you know it's something that i i hope that i've brought to my, my company as well because, but yeah, you know what? I know I've done it because I've had people who come in, and then nine months later, they're. If I just told them the first day they come in to do what they're doing nine months later, they would have a heart attack. And yet they're doing it with such confidence, and that confidence is with an exclamation mark, right? They know that they're able to do it, and so for me, that's you know, and that's really it. Kind of ties back into transparency, you know. Don't don't do anything for updating your LinkedIn getting another credential or anything, build internally on your knowledge that you can do stuff. And that's when you can tackle on momentous kind of problems.
1: Fake 20%, no 80%. Now that's something that you don't really hear, sir, a lot. And we talk about fake till you make it doesn't really work. So it's really about developing that true confidence. Because deep down, you know that you're not being authentic if you're really faking 100% of the time. And people are going to know. And I was reading a book recently, um, it was called Limitless. And it's another math. So we go with 20, 80, and now the next one's 40 and 70. So in the book is what Colin Powell used to do. So you don't make a decision with less than 40% of the knowledge. But at the same time, as we talked about before, like we're not going to know everything. So if you have 70% of the information, then you just got to go for it. You can't wait till we're at 100%. So faking it till you make it, as we said, doesn't work. So I guess for our listeners to remember is that 20 and 80, like Michael was saying, just no 80%. And when you're making that decision, it's that 40, 70. Mm -hmm. So I thought it was interesting.
2: Yeah, I agree. And I think about the situations where I have felt most confident and it definitely wasn't in the situations where I was trying to fake it in the times where I was feeling really uncomfortable and trying to fake it, you know, that was when I felt the most unconfident. So I, I really think it's come up as a theme multiple times throughout our different interviews for the podcast, Mm -hmm. Uh, first with Abby and then Madeline said the same thing as well, that to make yourself feel really confident, you should strive to make yourself an expert in the domain that you are talking about. And I think it'll really help you feel like you belong and that you know what you're talking about.
1: No, exactly. And as we wrap up, I think it's a good idea if we just shared a great conversation you had with Zanita about just early wins and how that can help one's confidence.
3: I think the other piece of it, that's fundamental to confidence is having some early wins in your career, right? Mm-hmm. Having some project successes that, you know, you can sort of pat yourself on the back to say, yeah, you know what? I did that. I own mm-hmm. that. That was my baby. And that went really well. And obviously to have somebody behind you who's, you know, showing you the way, but also giving a little bit of a push to say, yeah, you can do this. And, and the ability to observe, like I, I've got two teenage daughters who are in university and um, one of them has a full-time job right now over the summer. And I'm listening to her on these webinars and she's just exuding all this confidence. <laughs> it, it's kind of funny, right? Cause you can see a little bit of yourself in them. Um, not to say that I have tons of confidence, but mm-hmm. it's just, you know, the observation piece I think is really key as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think all of that is, is, is
2: helpful. It's, it's interesting that you say all that because I think that, For me, I had kind of a turning point in my confidence. I would say when I was graduating from undergrad, I was not very confident at all because I think I was mostly surrounded by other young students and you don't really get that exposure that we were talking about. But definitely since starting my master's, I've become much more confident. And I think it's because of the diversity of people that I've been exposed to. Everyone's of different ages, of different backgrounds. You know, some are right out of undergrad, some have been working for quite some time and they bring so much experience. So it's been really great to feel like we're on the same level, like we're all peers, but we have so much to share. And it's funny that you mentioned that about your daughters, because my mom said the same thing recently. She heard me on a phone call and she was like, since when did you like, you know, talk so confidently and you know, you know what you're saying and all this stuff. And I didn't even really notice that I was even, you know, feeling comfortable in my role, but I guess it takes someone else, you know, looking in to say, wow, you've changed quite a bit.
1: Dear future self, you are strong. You are confident. You are talented. You don't need anyone to tell you this because you are innately gifted. But sometimes it was hard for you to recognize And sometimes, it took an outside voice for you to recognize your growth and talents. This was a snippet of a letter to my future self. Imagine, fast-forwarding to a future point in your leadership journey and being contacted by the old you. Imagine, what a distant self will want and desire. Imagine your future self surrounded by people who are honest and have pushed you to become the greatest you. When I read my letter from my past self, It was awe-inspiring, seemingly ahead of its time. Even though I didn't reach some of the milestones I set, the words of wisdom I received was the encouragement I needed to continue to strive forward. Why not try this exercise for yourself? Grab a pen and paper. Pick a future date that is meaningful for you and begin to envision. Envision your desired leadership legacy. Visualization, although it is simple, is one of the most powerful tools to actualize your aspirations. It's much easier to achieve it when you can see it. And many times, it is not easy for us to see our own growth. We all need different perspectives to help us see the whole picture. Why not add another pair of eyes, our own, our consciousness and thoughts stored in words? As we seek to be more confident and transparent leaders, just aim to be the best you. In this way, you maximize your ability to make the best impressions, and you won't have to fake it till you make it. And remember, the journey is a marathon, not a sprint. So don't forget to cherish all the small wins along the way.
2: You're listening to Built to Lead. Built to Lead is a student-directed podcast and companion initiative to the Vernissage Health Dialogue Series for Health Leaders, we want to thank the Vernissage Health Partners for their generous support in making this podcast possible. Thank you to the Associated Medical Services, the Dalla Lana School of Public Health, the Institute of Health Policy, Management, and Evaluation, and the Rotman School of Management. Built to Lead is hosted by IHPME students, Sarah Sawaya, that's me, and Matthew Goldburn. Music is composed by Sindhu, and the episode was edited and mixed by Madden and Mitchell Media. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed Built to Lead, make sure to follow, subscribe, leave a review, and tell a friend. We're building the health leaders of tomorrow.
1: Madden and Mitchell Media.